You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week five of our series called Be Rich. Turn to somebody close by and tell them, you need to be rich. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean money, and I, I, I don't want to say that every week, but I don't want anybody to leave with the wrong impression, okay, that we're all about money. No, you can have all the money in the world and not be rich, you know, so we want you to be rich. God wants you to be rich in every area of your life. You know, as I say every week, it doesn't do any good to have all kinds of money and, and you don't know how to handle relationships and, uh, you know, your, your body is filled with sickness and disease and, and those types of things. God wants us rich in every area. Matter of fact, let's look at the scripture in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9. There we go. All right, so let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. Anybody in here, you need your resources to increase a little bit. All right, that's what God wants. He says, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. So God wants us to be enriched in every area of our lives so that we can be generous in every way. Well, what what does that mean? Again, it doesn't just mean money, but it's hard to give something away that you don't have, okay? So, but how about some joy and peace? You know, there's a lot of people that need joy and peace right now. And so, again, if you don't have any peace, it's very hard for you to give that away. And so God wants you enriched in every way so that we can always be generous. And then Paul goes on to say, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. One translation says that your generosity will cause praise to be lifted up to the Lord. So that's what we're after. We're not after being a blessing so that people will look to us. We're after being a blessing So God will be magnified and uh, he will be lifted up. In the message Bible of that same verse, it says that God wants us wealthy in every way. And and you know, we in the church, we've got to back away from these misbeliefs that those are bad words. Rich, wealthy, prosperity are not bad words. Now there are people who have gone to the extreme in them. And, uh, but you know, as I said to you in the very first lesson, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You remember that? Okay. (laughs) All right. Now let's talk about this today. Again, I'm real excited. If you'll remember, uh, two or three lessons ago, we talked about God's economy versus the world's economy. You remember that? And how God has a way of functioning and moving economically that's different than the way that the world functions and moves in economy. So here's the first thing I want you to write down, and that is this, that God has a way, or you could say it this way, a plan, but God has a way to bring us out of lack and into abundance. So God has a way. And, uh, you know, Isaiah 55, I didn't put it in the message and in your notes, but uh, Isaiah 55 says this, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, he said. But, but he didn't leave it at that. He, he, in essence, went on to say, come on up to my way of doing. Come on up to my way of thinking and function like I do. So God has a way, a plan to bring us out of a, a life of lack and insufficiency into a life of abundance. Now, I want to just say this, and, and I say this without any apologies and without any fear of contradiction, and that is this. God doesn't want you living a life where you are just barely scraping by or not making it at all, okay? God wants you to live a life where you have more than enough to take care of your needs and then you are, uh, have an overflow so that you're able to be a blessing to somebody else, Amen. All right, so here's something that I want to get to you, and you've got to understand this. So write this down, please. 
Sometimes God's way, his ways do not make sense to the natural mind and seem like they are opposite of what seems normal. Okay, now you need to understand that. And this just isn't applicable towards finances or, or it's applicable to the way God operates. God operates in ways that don't make sense to the natural mind. Whoever heard of, you know, when there's nothing around you but darkness, stepping out on the edge of that darkness and just saying, let there be light, and light was. I mean, you know, that doesn't seem maybe like the normal way to do it, but God has a way of doing things that aren't like what the natural mind thinks needs to be done. Let me show you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 1.27 in the Amplified Bible says this, No, for God selected, he deliberately chose what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame and what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. See, God intentionally chooses things that are opposite of the way man does it. Here's why. So that man can't stand up and take any credit for it. Okay? I mean, look, think about this, y'all. Whoever thought of, you lead two million people out of Egypt, you lead them into the desert, and then you have to provide food and water for them. So what does God do? He doesn't you know, send them down to the local publics to buy groceries. No, what he does is he causes water to come out of a rock. I don't know about you, but I've never seen water come out of a rock. They had it every day. And, and you know, I forgot what the actual numbers were, but millions of gallons of water every day came out of a rock. And by the way, Paul wrote and said that that rock followed them around everywhere that they went. Now, that's not normal. You understand that, right? Or how, how, how about that God, he doesn't send them down to uh, IHOP to get breakfast every day. He tells them, you go outside and gather and there'll be this stuff on the ground called manna that I believe Krispy Kreme makes today. But anyway, that, that you can pick up and you can harvest and you can eat it. And uh, then he provided quail. Now think about this, y'all. Um, the scriptures tell us, and the Hebrew language actually paints this picture, that when God sent the quail into the camp, that all they had to do was reach out and grab them. So what he did is he caused the quail to fly at a level that was either, they were either on the ground alive or they were flying so low that the people could just reach out and grab them. Now that, that's, that's not normal. So God does things that are, are not normal. He does it in a way that is not normal so man can't take credit for it. And so the scripture says that, that in the world it might seem foolish, but he uses that to put the wise to shame and what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.14 in the contemporary English Bible. It says this, this is why only someone who has God's spirit can understand spiritual blessings. Anyone who doesn't have God's spirit thinks these blessings are foolish, all right? So we're going to talk about some things today that aren't going to seem normal. They're not going to make a whole lot of sense to the natural mind, but you've got to understand God's way of thinking and God's way of operation. So let me just tell you, before we get into the meat of what we're talking about today, when, you, when you're praying and you're asking God, like we just sang about, you're asking God for a miracle in your life, stop looking at the normal ways. In other words, if you need a financial miracle, don't run to your mailbox every day. Okay, now there's nothing wrong with you checking your mail. Don't misunderstand me. But don't get to the point where you think that's the only way God can bring increase into your life. I'm reminded of Elijah the prophet after he ran away from Ahab. You remember the Bible says that, that uh, the Lord caused ravens to bring provision to Elijah at the brook. You remember that? That's not normal. That's not the way it normally happens. So my, my point is this, begin to uh, widen your thinking a little bit to think uh, just beyond the box 
and take the limits off of God and how he can do it. And whatever you do, don't try and tell him how he needs to do it for you. Because you know what? There's a good possibility just because you say that, he ain't going to do it like you want him to. Okay? So I'm just telling you, just prepping you in advance, all right? So there is a wonderful book that I encourage every one of you to read. It is called The Blessed Life, and it's by Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Dallas. Uh, Gateway Church, please pray for them. They're a little struggling church. Uh, prior to the pandemic, they were averaging 36,000 people every Sunday. And uh, so I don't know what their attendance is post-pandemic. But anyway, uh, just a great church, an awesome church. And Pastor Robert has been anointed to teach on how to live the blessed life. And uh, so I've never read a book that was more balanced or appropriate in talking about tithing and giving than that book is. So I, I strongly encourage you, a lot of the material we're going to talk about, I gained from his ministry and from uh, this particular book. And so, by the way, let me tell you this about Gateway. In the whole history of their church, they have never taken up an offering. They have containers and they teach on tithing and giving so well that the people just drop their tithes and offerings in an offering container on their way in or way out from church, okay? And everything they have is paid for, all right? So what does that tell me? It tells me that a lot of the things that we pastors have done in the past where we got to beg and cry and scratch and claw to, you know, to get the people to respond and all of that. No, I, I'm a firm believer that when you understand what God's word says, that people want to do what God's word says. I, I just, you know, I know there are a, a few that, you know, are rebel a little bit, but I believe most Christians want to do what God says and to please him. And I just operate under that assumption, all right? So let me read this little bit of introduction to you from from the book, here we go. He, Pastor Robert says this, without a doubt, the enemy of your soul would do anything to keep you from discovering God's principles governing financial stewardship, giving, and blessing. Why? Because once you do, it will transform your life for the better. But it will do more than that. It will impact the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, if every believer understood and applied the simple principles that we are about to present, it would literally bring revival to the world. Every needed church facility could be built. Every missionary with a divine call and a willing heart could be sent and abundantly supplied. The gospel could saturate every culture on the planet. Yes, as God's people prospered, money would come into the kingdom, but much more important, our hearts would be changed. Can you imagine a world, and I'm talking about a church world for a moment, where um, if we needed to build a building, we just go do it. If we needed to send missionaries into the field to go somewhere in the world to, to minister on somebody's behalf, we could just do it because there's, resources already available. Okay, so I want us to begin to think that way. I want us to begin to imagine this way. Now, let me say this before we get into, again, the meat of what we're going to talk about today. I don't have anybody in mind. I don't have a motive behind this other than God told me to teach on this stuff. And I don't mean to say it's stuff, these things, these principles, because we all need to know them. Now, I will say this. Don't miss next week, all right? We're going to talk about some things to lay some groundwork today, but don't miss next week, all right? So we said God has a way of doing things that don't seem normal. Well, here's a huge one right here, and that is tithing. Everybody say tithing. So if you want to get into God's way of doing things, this is the doorway. It's the first step into functioning God's way financially, 
So tithing is the first step. So let me lay some groundwork about the tithe, okay? You ready? Nobody's mad at me yet, are you? Okay, good. Praise the Lord, because I'm going to preach it anyway. You can just sit there and get mad if you want to. I'm just kidding. Y'all don't do that. Here we go. Write this down, please. The tithe, oops, I went the wrong way. Here we go. The tithe belongs to God. Now, you got to establish that up front. And, and by the way, maybe I ought to define what a tithe is. Tithe is, a, is an old Hebrew word that means tenth, tenth part. All right? It is the tenth part. Okay? And we're going we're gonna to lay the groundwork, but the tenth part, the first tenth belongs to God. Look at the, the scripture Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, and there's many verses in the Old Testament. I couldn't touch them all. It'd take us two weeks just to do that. But one-tenth, the Bible says in Leviticus 27, 30, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart as holy. Somebody said, well, I guess I'm excluded from that because I'm not a farmer. Well, guess what? Everybody was a farmer back then. They didn't work jobs like we have today. This is just simply a way of saying this, that one-tenth of whatever comes into your life, whether grain from the fields, fruit from the trees, a paycheck from your job, sale of something, whatever the case might be, it belongs to the Lord and must be set apart for him as holy. Okay, here's the next thing I want you to get. Number two or second point is this. The tithe is not about your money. The tithe is not about your money. Please understand that. Tithing is not about your money. It is, however, about your heart. It is about your heart. Tithing has nothing to, well, that's not true, has very little to do with your money. It has everything to do with your heart. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. I'm reading from the Good News Bible. The scripture says this. Now, if you ever read the book of Malachi, it is the last book of the Old Testament written, and then there were 400 years of silence between Malachi and the book of Matthew when the angels started appearing and talking about the birth of Christ. So one of the last things that God tells his people all throughout the book of Malachi is this, turn back to me. Turn back to me. I want you as my own. Because the people had turned their hearts away from God in every area of their lives, and uh, they were worshiping idols, they were just doing all kinds of things. And I'm talking about God's people, the Jewish people. And we would use a phrase called backslidden. They had backslidden in a huge way. And so one of the very last thing God says before 400 years of silence and Jesus shows up is turn back to me. That's the overall theme of the book of Malachi. Look at these verses. I am the Lord and I do not change. And so you the descendants of Jacob are not yet completely lost. In other words, I haven't given up on you. You, like your ancestors before you, have turned away from my laws and have not kept them. Turn back to me and I will turn to you. But you ask, what must we do to turn back to you? I ask you, verse 8 says, is, is it right for a person to cheat God? Of course not. The old King James says, rob God. This translation says, cheat God. Of course not. Yet you are cheating me. How, you ask, in the matter of tithes and offerings. Now, I want you to think this through with me. Okay? Um, God's doing pretty well without your money. I don't know if you know that or not. He's not up there pacing the floor wondering how he's going to pay due power bill for, uh, the due power bill for heaven. Okay, no, he's doing fine. Uh, if you've ever read in the Bible a description of heaven, heaven is not a, 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 you know, a bad place at all. 
Matter of fact, uh, uh, the streets are paved with gold so clear you can see through it, okay? He's got gates made out of one pearl that are 120 feet tall. Now, I don't know what that oyster looked like that had that pearl, but okay. My point is this. God is not doing bad, and he doesn't have to have your money in order to survive, Okay, so it's very important that we understand that. But yet he challenges the people and he says, you have cheated me. And they said, how? He said, in your tithes and offerings. Well, how can that be cheating God if he's doing okay and doesn't need their money? Well, let me show you. Jesus explained it very clearly in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, and he said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what God was saying is, you have cheated me in tithes and offerings and therefore have cheated me in your heart. You haven't given me your heart. Why? Because your heart follows your money. That's what Jesus said. You do believe Jesus, right? Okay, So he said this, he said, wherever your treasure is, your heart follows your treasure. Whatever is important to you, whatever you value the most, your heart is right there. So God is saying, I want your heart, I want you to come back to me, and the easiest way to do that is for you to turn your heart back to me where your finances are concerned. And that's what God was saying to the people of Israel. So the tithe, again, is not about your money. It is about your heart. God wants your heart. If he has your heart, he has everything else in your life. He wants your heart. And that's so important for us to learn. Because, you know, again, God doesn't need our money. But he knows that, that is, your heart is attached to that. You know, I'll say this, and I would never do this because it's your business, but if I was able to look at your bank statement, I could probably tell where your heart is. If you could look at mine, you could probably tell where my heart is. Why? Look at where I spend my money. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. All right, here's the next thing I want you to write down, and that is this. We're laying groundwork, talking about the tithe. The tithe is about honoring God first. See, all throughout the, the Bible, the principle of the Bible in the, of the tithe is honoring God first, okay? Uh, not paying everything else and then honoring God. No, you honor God first, now, can I say this to you? God never will be second. He never will be second. He's either first in your life or he's not at all. He doesn't take fifth seat or fifth position after everything else. And I'm not talking, just talking about your money. I'm talking about in your life, what your priorities are. No, God must be first. All right, okay, let's look at what the scripture says. Honor the Lord, he said in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And then here's the promise that comes along with that. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, the reason I don't want you to miss next week is because I'm going to teach you on what are the benefits of tithing. And they are huge. God doesn't ask you for your heart, ask you to give him the first part without rewarding you. Okay? Are y'all still here? You gone home? Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so the tithe is about honoring God first. So God is not interested solely in your money. He's interested in your heart and he wants to be first in your heart. So the way that we do that is when increase comes into our lives, we honor him first. Okay, so let's talk about, and I've ministered these before and 
Uh, I'm probably preaching to the choir when I say this, but let's, get, let's talk about some common, common arguments against tithing. And I've heard them all, all right? But let's just talk about them for just a moment so that you, we're all clear on this. So here's the first one. I've heard people say this. Well, you know, tithing is under the Old Testament law. Tithing is under the law. And I don't have to do that because I'm not under the law. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a second. But first thing you need to understand is the principle of the tithe goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Okay? It goes back to, it predates the law by 500 years when the Bible tells us a story that Abraham gave tithes to the priests of the day named Melchizedek. Let's look at the scripture. Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. Abraham had gone in and, and, and uh, Lot and his family had been captured by some bandits. So Abraham and his army went and rescued them, brought them back. And the spoils that they got, Abraham offered them uh, to Melchizedek. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abram, of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. Now what's interesting about Melchizedek, if you ever study the scriptures about Melchizedek, it says this, he has no beginning and he has no end. I personally believe Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord Jesus because everything about him describes Jesus. Okay, so what did Abram do? What did Abraham do? He gave tithes before the law was ever given to Moses and instructions about the tithe were given. Okay, so tithing predates the law by 500 years. Here's the next argument that you hear, and this is connected to this. Tithing is under the law, and as a believer, I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. Everything in that statement is true, except for it's not a permission slip for you not to obey the law. Uh, do we have any thieves in here? Okay, no thieves? All right. Well, what does that mean? That means you obey the law, because the law said do not steal. Okay? Um, the law said things like, um, don't commit adultery. Now, yes, we're not under the law, but we're under grace because Jesus fulfilled the law. He's redeemed us and brought us out so we don't have to live by the law. But let me ask you a question. Does that mean because I'm under grace and not under the law that I can commit all the adultery that I want to? No. Does it mean that I can steal as much as I want to because I'm not under the law, I'm under grace? No. If anything, grace raises the level and says we need to go above and beyond what the law required. Matter of fact, you remember Jesus said this and he was making references to the law. You remember Jesus said something like this. He said, listen, if you struggle with lust, now he went so far as to get extreme with it he said this, that uh, if you struggle, if you look after a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Okay, so not just the act as it was under the law, but Jesus went to say, he went so far as to say, if your heart leans in that way, you're guilty. So that, what that means is, under grace, we don't get an escape clause. We have to go over and above and beyond what the law taught, okay? Now, in the New Testament, there's a phrase that's used a lot called generosity. Now, generosity, um, well, let me say it to you this way. Under grace, we do much more than what is required, Okay? So that, that is not a valid argument to say, well, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Okay, so no. All right, here's the next argument I hear. I can't afford to tithe. Well, guess what? You've heard, probably heard preachers say this. You can't afford not to tithe. I can say that from experience. All right, but let me, let me make this point. 
you'll never be able to tithe or excuse me, you'll never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron, just sounds weird. But I told you, God does stuff that doesn't seem normal. Let me give you a little testimony real quick. And um, this is years and years ago. I was figuring it up. 33 years ago is when I resolved it in my heart about tithing. Now, I had jacked up my personal finances. Uh, I know none of y'all have ever done that. Um, I had bought a, and oh, I was so proud of this car, a 1986 fire engine red Camaro, okay? All right, brand new. I mean, I drove that thing off the, the lot, brand new. I couldn't no more afford that car than the, I'm an astronaut, all right? But, but what it was, what it began was a three-year battle of trying to keep that car, where I was almost, I mean, I'm talking about hairline falling over into repossession all the time. Now, I'm not proud of that, but thank God I'm not there anymore, okay? But here's what happened. In November of 1989, I think it was, or somewhere thereabouts, um, I made up my mind. I said, God, your word says that if I'm a tither, then there are blessings that belong to me. I'm not living in those blessings. So I, I and I knew I was not obeying God where the tithe was concerned. And so I, and I'm going to tell you this, not to, you know, not to be just transparent, but to help lay, lay an example for you, and that is this. I made that commitment to become a tither without question from that point forward. And guess what? They still came and picked up my car. All right. I waved as it rode off. They put it up on the trailer. I said, I'll see you later maybe. Okay. But here's what I knew. If they came and repoed my car, they repoed the car of a tither. And for the first time in my life, I could hold my head up before God and know that I had obeyed what the word said. Now, somebody says, well, what happened? Well, I went probably four or five months without a car. Fortunately, I was within walking distance of my job. I was within walking distance of grocery stores and all that. I made it. I survived, okay? If I needed to go someplace on a long distance, I either rode the bus or, you know, uh, hitched a ride with a friend or something like that. But here's what, here's the point. It was not very long, less than a, a year, maybe eight, nine months, I had a car given to me, okay? Wasn't a new car, but it was sure a whole lot better than what I had, Okay? It was a good point A to point B car. And, you know, we, in the country, we call it a whoopty. All right? It was a good whoopty, and it got me where I was going. It served me. I flat drove the wheels off that car. By the time that car died and gave up the ghost, it had 278,000 miles, I think, something like that. Had a bunch of miles on it. All right, finally gave up the ghost. And uh, so my point is this. God provided when I obeyed him. Now, and, and listen, just because I made the decision to obey him, my fan finances did not immediately overnight. God didn't come down and wave a magic wand over my bank book, my wallet, and everything changed instantaneously. But when I made the decision to obey God, the turn happened. Now, how many of you know if the Titanic is heading towards the iceberg, it takes a minute to turn the ship around, okay? And so that's what happened. The moment I made that decision to obey God, the ship began to turn and things began to change to the point now where uh, my most recent car, which now is going on 12 years old, uh, paid cash for, brand new, okay? Now, I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God when I say that, all right? 
So that's what God will do. So here's my point. I operated under the mindset for a long time, years, I can't afford to tithe. But I can tell you from personal experience, you can't afford not to tithe if you want God involved in your financial life. Now, if you want to try and do it on your own, if you want to try and manage the 100%, go for it. And I'm going to pull a Dr. Phil on you and say, how's that working out for you? Because here's what I do know. When I finally turned the 10 over to him, something happened supernaturally with the 90% left over, and God helped me manage that far better than I was managing the 100 by myself. All right? So here's the next thing I want you to write down, and that is this. If Jesus said to you, if, if he could show up here in person this morning and he said to you, you should tithe, would you do it? Okay, all right, keep that in mind. Now I want to show you something that Jesus told the religious leaders of his day. All right, now look at this. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders and he said, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now they had it flip-flop, all right? But look at what Jesus said. You should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So what Jesus was saying is, don't stand up and brag about being a tither when you're mean to everybody. When you don't walk in love, when you don't love people, when you don't respect people, when you don't do the other things that we're taught to do as believers, then it kind of nullifies your tithing at that point. But Jesus said, don't throw everything out. Yeah, be a tither, but do the other stuff too. Are you following me? Okay, so let's talk about this as we begin to wrap this up. How do you tithe? Now, you need to understand this, and I didn't make a thing, a space for this on your notes, but the tithe and tithing are two different things. The tithe and tithing are two different things. Okay, so let's talk about what is the difference between the two. The tithe is the tenth part. Tithing is what you do with the tenth part. All right, you understand, okay? Because a lot of times we just lump it all together and, um, you know, we, we, uh, we pay our tithes. But listen, you can't, you can't regard paying your tithes or returning your tithes the same way you do paying Duke Power or paying Visa or MasterCard or whatever bills you have, okay? It's different. It operates differently, okay? So how do you tithe? How do we do it? Well, here's the first step. Number one is we present our tithes to Jesus, our high priest. What are you saying, pastor? Do I, do I take my money and I just throw it up in the air and Jesus will catch it? Well, do me a favor. If you're gonna tithe that way, call me and let me be standing there when you throw it up in the air, Okay? Yeah, and me and Barbara will be there, all right? Okay, all right, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus is in heaven. Now, you can't write a check and mail it to heaven. So what is he talking about? Again, somebody yell out to me, what's God after? Your heart. So Jesus is looking for your heart. So really, when we go through the act of tithing, we're presenting our heart before the Lord. Hebrews chapter three, verse one says this, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So somebody tell me, who is your high priest? He is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is our high priest. Now he went into God's presence with his blood on our behalf once and for all. Now, you have access to God anytime you want to in Jesus' name. 
okay? So Jesus is your high priest. So little pop quiz, who, who is our high priest? Okay, keep that in mind. Now let's go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 26, verses one through three. It says this, and Deuteronomy 26 is the Old Testament law where tithing is concerned. And it says, and it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it. Now, what that means is when you got born again, you entered into your promised land. Okay, so you are in, if you're a born-again believer this morning, you are in the promised land that Jesus promised you. All right, it's not heaven. You know, I know there are the old, old songs that we sing about crossing Jordan and all that kind of stuff. No, going to heaven is not crossing Jordan. You crossed Jordan when you got born again. All right, so verse two, he says, when you get to that land and you possess it and dwell in it, verse two, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket, go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Now pop quiz, in the New Testament, as a believer, where does God choose to make his name abide? Say it, Brenda. In you. Okay, yeah, the church is where we gather corporately, but we aren't the house of God. You are the house of God. That's what the scripture says. Okay, so you, you go to the place in your heart, <coughs> excuse me, and verse three, and you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, who is priest in our day? Is he talking about you have to go to Rome? No. Is he talking about you have to go to Jerusalem? No. Your priest is the Lord Jesus. And so you say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And then as, a, as, as part of that, in your heart, you present to him your tithe. Okay, because we're, uh, we're going to see what happens with it. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8 says this. Here, men, mortal men, receive tithes. Now, I'm a mortal man. And we are mortal people that are part of a church. So what he's saying is that when you give, people on earth here receive it. But look what it says. But there, he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Now, who, who was dead but is now alive? Okay. Who is it that it is witness that he is alive? Who is it? Jesus. Okay. Y'all aren't going to sleep on me, are you? Okay, turn your microphones up just a little bit. Let me hear you. So here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Now, what I challenge you to do, I didn't get into all of it, but there is a confession that's in Deuteronomy 26 that you can make when you present your tithes. All right, here's the next thing. We give our tithes in faith, believing God's word. So what are we to believe? Well, come back next week and I'll tell you what, you're, you, what you are to believe. What, as I present my tithes to the Lord, I do it by faith believing that what God said he would do, he will do. Here's number three, okay? Number three, we tithe our tithes with words. Okay, tithing is not just writing a check and dropping it in the container on your way out. Tithing is, yes, you do that, but you use your words and attach your words to it. Okay, Deuteronomy 26, three, you remember, we read this a moment ago, and you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him. Now, your confession over your tithe might be as simple as this. Lord, I was once a sinner. I was lost. I was dead. 
But you came and you found me, you saved me, you delivered me and you set me free. You took me out of the kingdom of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of your dear son. And because I am in the place that you have provided for me, the first fruits, the tithe of my income that I have received, I give it to you. I offer it to you. Okay? And so it could be something as simple as that. The last thing that you do is you make tithing an act of worship. Now, y'all got all excited and worshiped with me with all of your heart last week when we talked about how good God is. Okay, well, what you do is you, you, you take that tithe. Listen, God is good and gave you income, so therefore he deserves our worship because he is good and he provided that for us. And so therefore, when you offer that tithe to him, Make it an act of worship. God, I present this tithe to you and I worship you because you've been so good to me that you brought this increase into my life that you provided for me. And I want to worship you with it. Now, here's what happens, okay? Now, spiritually speaking, this doesn't literally happen, again, with your check or your dollars or whatever you give, if you give online or whatever. This doesn't literally happen with the money. This happens with the act of your heart. Now, look at this. Deuteronomy 26.4 tells you what your high priest does. Then the priest takes the basket out of your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Now, what you need to do is when you're tithing, picture that taking place. When you worship with your heart and you say, Lord, I'm bringing this tithe before you as an act of worship and I worship you with it. Now, Jesus, take this and worship the Father with it. And the Bible says that that worship becomes a sweet-smelling savor. You remember in the Old Testament how they had to burn that incense and it kept the Holy of Holies filled with the fragrance all the time. They had to keep it going 24-7. And your prayers and your worship are just like that incense into the nostrils of the Father. And so what God does is he receives that tithe because it becomes an act of worship that is offered through your high priest. Now somebody says, well, what if I forget to do all of that? It's okay, all right? You can worship after you've given now, it's ideal to do it as you give or before you give or whatever, but I'm just saying to you, don't get bound up legally in this, but just make it a heart thing that you do, okay? Now, again, I encourage you, do not miss next week because there's a lot of things, and myself included, that we have not walked in because we have not received them that are benefits and blessings of being a tither. Hello? Okay. All right. And I want you, God wants you to experience everything that belongs to you. And there are some things. I'll just give you one quick one, real quick. You know, we talk about it all the time. The Bible says in Malachi that God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Can I tell you what that means? Is God will move supernaturally to keep your stuff from breaking down. My mom was telling me just the other day, uh, she, was, she just shared a quick testimony. Now, and I can say this, and I'm not trying to embarrass them, but my parents are tithers. All right, her dryer started acting up, okay? What'd she do? She went out and talked to her dryer and said, no, no, no. You were created to dry my clothes. Therefore, in Jesus' name, you function like you were created to function. And guess what? The dryer started working and worked great and dried their clothes, did what it was supposed to do. Somebody said, oh, that's just crazy, Okay, call the repairman, spend your $350 to get your dryer fixed. Now, I'm not saying you won't ever have to call the repair person, but I am saying there are certain things that belong to you as a tither that you can walk in. Anybody want to know what those are? Okay, I'll, I'll talk to the crowd up here then. 
No, just come back next week because I want to get that to you. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you. I praise you for the word that we've talked about today. And I thank you, Father, that your word is working in us. And Lord, I have purposed in my heart not to draw back from these truths. I have purposed in my heart to speak plainly and truthfully for, for what your word says, Lord. And I know, Father, that there are many that have, that have mishandled finances in the church universal. But Lord, I can't back away from the truth just because of that. I cannot tell the people what your word says just because some have abused that. I have a responsibility, Lord. And so I thank you, Father, for the good ground of the hearts of the people of Spring Hill Church. And Father, I thank you that the seed of your word has fallen upon that good ground. And Lord, I thank you that as we purpose in our hearts to obey your word, that Father, we'll see the fruit of that word coming to pass in our lives. And we believe you for it. Father, I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Father, that you are truly at work in their lives. That, Father, you want us all to come up higher. You want us all to live at a level that we've never experienced before. You want us to experience your goodness like we've never experienced before. And so, Father, we just with open hearts and open arms, we are ready to receive every good thing that you have in store for us. And Father, we'll be mindful to obey what you tell us to do. We'll carry out your word to the best of our ability. And for those times when we do miss it, we do fail, I thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And we believe you for it and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.